Part two, chapter seven B of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Lady Jerningham, who had been very anxious as to the result of my visit, was happy that everything had gone so well. The following day, my aunt took me to see two other uncles. One was Lord Dillon, elder brother of my father. He lived in a handsome mansion in Portman Square with his second wife, two of her daughters, and a young son, eight or nine years of age, who was a beautiful boy. Lady Dillon had been a Mademoiselle Rogier of Belgian origin. She had all the appearance of what she was in reality, a former actress. She'd been the mistress of my uncle before his marriage to Miss Phipps, daughter of Lord Mulgrave. From this liaison had been born a son who, according to the custom allowed in England among the Protestants, had been authorised to bear the name of his father. As I have already stated at the commencement of these recollections, Lord Dillon, at the time he bore only the title of the Honourable Charles Dillon, was a gambler and a spendthrift, and was loaded with debt. He abjured the religion of his fathers to become a Protestant at the instigation of his granduncle Robert Lee, fourth and last Earl of Lichfield, who had demanded this as the price of his inheritance, an income of £15,000 sterling and the beautiful castle of Ditchley. Assured of this handsome fortune and wishing to have an heir, he married a Protestant, Miss Phipps, and made her so unhappy that she died at the age of twenty-five years, leaving him a son, Henry Augustus, who later became Viscount Dillon, and a daughter who married Sir Thomas Webb. My uncle then lived openly with Mademoiselle Rogier, by whom he had had two daughters during the life of his wife. After his wife's death, he publicly married her, his sister, Lady Jerningham, was extremely dissatisfied, and to appease her, he confided to her his legitimate daughter to bring up, and only kept with him the two bastards. These used his name, with this difference, that they did not put upon their visiting cards, Honourable Miss Dillon, but Miss Dillon only. They were both charming girls, pretty and well brought up. One died at the age of eighteen, and the other married Lord Frederick Beauclerc, brother of the Duke of St. Albans. As my aunt was not particularly anxious to see Lady Dillon, I went to her house with her daughter, Lady Beddingfeld, my cousin, who was at that time in London for several days. Lord Dillon received us very politely, but as a man of the world, without showing the least interest. He offered us his box for the opera for the same evening, and we accepted. This was the only benefit that I received from him. He gave a pension of a thousand pounds sterling to his uncle, the Archbishop, who was eighty years of age. As far as I was concerned, although I was the daughter of his brother, he never came to my aid during the two and a half years I passed in England. The second uncle whom I visited this time with Lady Jerningham, was Lord Kenmare, 
who had formerly borne the name of Valentine Brown. He received me in a very different manner, although I was his niece only by his first wife, a sister of my father, who had been dead for many years. He was then remarried. By his first wife he had a daughter, Lady Charlotte Brown, who was accordingly my cousin. She later became by marriage Lady Charlotte Gould. Lord Kenmare, his daughter and all his family, received me with the greatest kindness and goodness, and the friendship of Lady Charlotte in particular has never become cold. She was then eighteen years of age, and had many aspirants for her hand, as she had a fortune of twenty thousand pounds sterling. I went to see my aunt, Madame Denine, at Richmond. She was much displeased with our plan of passing some time at Cossey with Lady Jerningham. Madame Denine was exceedingly domineering, even to the point of tyranny, and everything which brought the slightest umbrage to her empire put her out to a most unreasonable degree. Her authority was exercised principally upon Monsieur de Lally, although it must be admitted that she was very useful to him through the firmness and decision of her character. But she did not suffer any rival, and Monsieur Lally had committed the imprudence during the two or three months that Madame Denine had passed in France of going to Cossy, where he had enjoyed himself like a schoolboy on his vacation. Madame Denine had accordingly conceived a great aversion for Lady Jerningham. Accordingly, on learning that her nephew, Monsieur de La Tour du Pain, and I had formed the project of passing six months in the country with Lady Jerningham, she had a feeling of vexation which she did not try to dissimulate. In spite of her character, Madame Denis nevertheless did not like a spirit of justice. She was forced to admit that, having arrived in England without resources, it was very natural for us to accept with pleasure an invitation from a relative so near and so highly considered in the world as my aunt Jerningham. Madame Denis and Monsieur Lally had an establishment in common. The age of the two should have prevented the public from finding any scandalous motive in this association. Nevertheless, people turned the matter into ridicule. Madame Denis, in spite of her real and great qualities, was not generally liked. After a residence of three days at London, I realised that I would not have any pleasure in staying there longer. The society of the émigrés, their gossip, their little intrigues and slander had rendered my sojourn disagreeable. Finally, to my great joy, the time came for our departure for Cossey. Lady Jerningham had preceded us to the country. It was therefore arranged that I should stay with my stepmother, Madame Dillon, for several days. There I learned with great satisfaction that Edward de Fitzjames had some saddle horses. As I had the reputation of being an excellent horsewoman, he procured for me a side saddle. My stepmother gave me a fine equestrian habit, and every day we took long rides. We set out from London like a caravan. My stepmother, myself, my daughter, my son, my maid Marguerite, 
and Flora, the coloured maid of Madame Dillon, in one Berlin, Madame de Fitz James, Alexandre de la Touche, and my husband in another. Then followed the aged governess of Betsy, and finally Monsieur de Fitz James, his horses, grooms, and so on. We stopped for the night at Newmarket, where I held the famous horse races, which I was very curious to see. We remained here all the next day. It was the last day of the races, and one on which was run the Royal Cup. We passed the whole day upon the turf, and by good chance, quite rare in England, the weather was very fine. I have guarded the memory of this day as one of those in my life when I was the most amused and interested. The following day we set out to arrive for the night at Cossey. It was, I think, during the first days of October, 1797. My aunt, who was very fond of children, took possession of Umbert. Every morning after breakfast she took him to her room and kept him all the morning, occupied in giving him lessons and making him read and write in English and in French. His toilette also was the object of her care. She furnished him with suits, overcoats, linen, and a complete child's wardrobe. She was also extremely kind to me. Having observed that I was able to make my dresses myself, under the pretext of inspiring in Fanny Dillon a love of work, she brought to my room and placed at my disposal pieces of muslin and material of every kind, an attention which was all the more agreeable, as I had arrived from France very lightly dressed for the climate of England. My aunt had learned that my children had not been inoculated, vaccination having then only recently been discovered, and she took charge of supplying this omission, and had her own surgeon come from Norwich to perform the operation. In fine, she surrounded us with care of every kind, and the time which I passed at Cossey was as agreeable as we could possibly have wished. Sir William possessed an income estimated at £18,000 sterling, which does not constitute a large fortune in England, but was sufficient to enable him to live handsomely. His house was old, but convenient. The chapel in which the chaplain officiated was installed in the garret, following the usage of the Catholics prior to the emancipation. The winter passed very agreeably. Towards the month of March, Madame Dillon, my sister Fanny and Monsieur and Madame de Fitz James returned to London, but we remained at Cossey until the month of May. As my aunt was to pass the summer at London, Sir William proposed to us to take possession, during the period of his absence, of a pretty cottage which he had built in the park. I preferred, however, not to remain there alone, and furthermore, Madame Denin was very much enraged at the idea of the prolongation of our sojourn in the country, and insisted on having us with her at Richmond, where she could give us lodging. We therefore agreed to go there and rejoin her, although it was much against my desire but my husband did not wish to disoblige his aunt, and besides this we had some business in London about which I am going to speak. As I have not re-read 
the first part of these recollections, I am not certain that I stated that at the time of my arrival at Boston, I had written my excellent instructor, Monsieur Combe, who was then living with my stepmother at Martinique. My father had given him a good position, that of recorder of the island. He had exercised this function at St. Christophe and Tobago, and living in the house, he had been able to accumulate his salary until it amounted to the sum of 60,000 francs. Madame Dillon had borrowed this capital from him, agreeing to pay him interest. When Monsieur Combe learned at Martinique of our arrival at Boston, and also of our intention to buy property, the excellent man who loved me like a father had the thought of joining this sum, his entire fortune, to the funds which we possessed, in order to permit us to acquire a more considerable establishment where he would come to be with us and pass the rest of his days. He therefore asked Madame Dillon to repay the capital which he had loaned her. She not only refused his demand, but she also would not set the time when she would repay his money. He was in despair over the failure of his plans, and prayed and menaced Madame Dillon, but all without effect. Every vessel which came from Martinique to the United States brought me a letter from him. He wrote that he did not dare to leave Madame Dillon, hoping that by his presence he would finally succeed in obtaining his money. In the midst of all this, Madame Dillon left for England. Before her departure, poor Monsieur Combe, who remained at Martinique, succeeded in obtaining a paper in due form acknowledging the debt of 60,000 francs of capital and the interest which then amounted to nearly 10,000 francs in addition. Upon my arrival at Richmond, I received the sad news of the death of my old friend. A short time before, in his last letter, he told me that the climate of the islands, and still more the chagrin at knowing that I was once again in France without resources, was killing him. He added that he was writing to Madame Dillon requesting her to pay me the interest of the capital of 70,000 francs which she owed him. By will, in legal form, he left me his credit of 70,000 francs on Madame Dillon, as well as the running income, which amounted to 15 or 18,000 francs. From the very day that she knew of this legacy, the attitude of Madame Dillon towards us completely changed. She kept a fine house at London and spent freely in dinners and evening entertainments. But if we had need of money, she referred us to a Creole emigre who was charged with the care of her affairs. To all our demands with the object of having her fix a date when she would pay the interest of our credit, she replied evasively. One time... There was no sale for her sugar. Another time, her funds had not been received. In short, every day some new excuse was offered. Having addressed myself directly to her, I was very badly received. We spoke of the matter to her son, Alexandre de la Touche. My husband also took the matter up with her man of affairs.
but all of our attempts remained without success. The money which we received was given us like arms, though it came from our own property. Nevertheless, it was necessary for us to pay our part of the expenses with Madame Denin, and this constituted for us a new cause of embarrassment. How many times I regretted that I had not remained at Cossy. Our participation in the household of Madame Denin was to me insupportable. She had given us such bad quarters that we were not able to receive anyone. Our lodging comprised only two small bedrooms on the ground floor. And in England it is not customary to receive visitors in your bedrooms. I occupied one of these rooms with my daughter and my husband the other with our son. In the evening only we found our aunt in a handsome salon which she had on the first floor. It was very inconvenient, certainly, but if our life had been pleasant, I would not have been disturbed. While admitting the great and fine qualities of Madame Denin, and never failing to show her the respect which I owed her, I was forced nevertheless to recognise that our characters were not sympathetic. Perhaps it was my fault, and I should have remained insensible to the thousand pinpricks which she gave me. Monsieur Lally, the most timid of men, would not have dared to venture the least drollery which might have amused me. I was still young and gay. At twenty-eight years of age, how could I have the severity of mien imposed by the fifty years of my aunt? Absorbed in politics, the only thing which interested her was the constitution which it was necessary to give to France. This bored me to death. And then came the writings of Monsieur Lally, which it was necessary to read and re-read, word by word, phrase by phrase. In fine, I aspired to have a household of my own, no matter how small it might be. As I could not see any opportunity, I was resigned. End of Part 2, Chapter 7b